Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 167. I'm well rested and refocused after taking a week off. I posted seven episodes in a two week span. I needed to get away from it for just a little bit. But you know what's really cool is that the download numbers keep rising and rising. So it looks like everyone is still getting caught up from the episodes that I released during US Open week. And I received some really cool messages last week that that really helped me get back into the saddle. Heard a cool story about someone listening to the podcast in Norway. And uh, I'm kind of a big deal in, uh, in Scandinavia. The back of the range is the number fifth ranked golf podcast in Sweden. I'm serious. So keep sharing the podcast. Keep telling people about the back of the range. Uh, it's going worldwide. It's, uh, it's really happening. So it looks like college golf is slowly but surely coming back. I know that uh, the Blessings Invitational is taking place right now in Arkansas. The Merido Collegiate is later this month in Dallas. So SEC teams, Big 12 teams are doing their best to get back onto the golf course. The Big 12 match play just concluded with Baylor and Oklahoma State facing off in the finals. Going to have some college golf to talk about this fall. And oh yeah, the Masters is next month. Might have an episode or two to get you in the mood for that as well. Small housekeeping items before I get started with this week's guest, Logo Golf Towels and those Logo Neck Gaiters, Face Wraps, whatever you want to call them, they are in stock. The easiest way for you to purchase these is to go on any of the social media channels for the back of the range and just click the profile. You'll see a link tree URL that takes you to a landing page. You can That gets you everything you need to know about the podcast, where to buy the merch, how to subscribe, how to listen to every single episode, links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Everything you need is there. I know that none of us like wearing masks, but these things are actually very comfortable. It's basically the exact same type of face wrap that the USGA handed out at the US Amateur and at the US Open. I grabbed a couple of them for myself at Bandon Dunes, and I was like, yep, these are going to get the logo on them real quick. So they are in stock. If you do want one, uh, please let me know. Been getting a lot of questions about the trucker hats, and I wanted to share a quick story and a plug for my friends at Blue Collar Press in Lawrence, Kansas. So the hats were ready. We were just waiting on the patches to be delivered so that my guy Alex at Blue Collar Press could stitch them on and get them out to me. Well, the patches weren't perfect. They're were okay. It's not like they misspelled podcast or anything. They were okay, but they weren't perfect. So Alex gave me a call. We have new patches on order. New hats will be here soon. And the reason I bring this up is Alex was not just going to give me an okay product. They wanted it to be perfect for me. So we had several calls back and forth. We got everything straightened out. I can't recommend these guys enough, especially since they're in Lawrence, Kansas. I mean, if, if you know, you know. But if you're a state golf association and you need to get some giveaways ordered or you need some merch or maybe you're going on a golf buddies trip in 2021 and you want to get, you know, a couple dozen hats or shirts or whatever you need. Blue Collar Press can take care of it. Their website is bluecollarpress.com. I will put the link in the show notes of this episode and make sure you let them know that you heard about them from the back of the range golf podcast. 
My guest on this episode is Amin Gupta, sophomore standout at Oklahoma State University. Amin had a great run at Bandon Dunes. You know, it all started with a 64 in the first round of the stroke play session, which on its own is beyond impressive. But considering the fact that Amin was the last man in the field, flew out to Bandon without a guaranteed spot in the all-exempt field and only learned that he'd be able to tee it up a couple days before the start of the championship, well, that's that's kind of next-level stuff. Amon had strong wins in the match play portion. He defeated Sam Bennett from Texas A&M, as well as the 2018 U.S. Junior Amateur Champion Michael Thorburnson. Now, he did fall to the eventual champion Ty Strafacci in the semifinals, but alternate to semifinalist? Yeah, that's uh, quite the achievement. Really a fantastic episode. Really enjoyed getting to know Amin out at Bandon Dunes and then following everything up during this conversation. You know, we spoke about his road to Stillwater, which is unique. You know, he didn't follow the same path that most junior blue chippers follow. In fact, Amin almost turned pro right out of high school. So we spoke about his unique journey, what he has learned while being at Stillwater for the last two years. He was the sixth man or the alternate for the Cowboys during their attempt to win a second consecutive national championship in 2019. He was right there with Wolf and Hovland and Boshu and Eckroat. We talked about how he has improved his approach to the game and college life. Remember, you can't succeed on the golf course if you aren't taking the proper steps off of it. Again, great episode. You're going to see a lot of this guy. He just went 5-0 and in the Big 12 Match Play Championship. So clearly he is on form coming off of that great U.S. Amateur appearance. Anyways, thanks for supporting the Back of the Range Golf podcast. Really glad to be back. Let's get the episode started. Amin, welcome to the Back of the Range. How are you? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm doing good. Just, uh, you know, getting ready for the season. It's just normal things. So it's good to be back in Stillwater. Start of another college season at, at Stillwater. Uh, last time uh, we spoke, you were coming off a, uh, I don't want to say improbable because of your skill level, but improbable with the fact that you weren't even in the field of the USAM until maybe a couple days prior. So we'll uh, we'll definitely talk about that in your run into the semifinals. Um, you know, you just mentioned you're back in Stillwater. What, uh, what does Stillwater look like right around now? I mean, start of a semester. I mean, you're still trying to, you know, figure out, uh, you know, classes and things like that. What's uh, what's going on right now at Stillwater? Obviously, I got back late uh, because of the AM, so missed, you know, the first couple of days of things. But, I mean, everything's pretty normal. Obviously, there's some changes, you know, with COVID procedures and, you know, we have to check our temperature at the course and, um, you know, there's some random testing every week uh but overall uh, you know people are walking around on campus i mean there's masks obviously but everything is uh you know pretty pretty normal compared to my last two years i would say yeah we'll, we'll talk about the last couple of years because i i can't think of a bigger introduction into uh college golf than jumping into a team like uh like you have there at, at the stillwater so we always kind of hit upon how someone actually gets into the game of golf. And I definitely don't want to skip over that because, Hey, you know, to come from Concord, North Carolina to one of the top rated uh, golf teams uh, really in history, uh, definitely want to find out about your path. So, so tell me a little bit how you got into the game and uh, a little bit about just, you know, 
playing junior golf in North Carolina? No one really in my family played golf at all. Okay. Actually, like I was the first one. Uh, I picked up the game. I was up in Connecticut visiting my uncle, uh, my mom's side, and uh, he was going out to the course or something. He asked me when to come. I was like, you know, I was seven, about seven years old, eight years old, and he. Uh, I was like, sure. So I went out there. We were just putting around on the practice green, and I remember like for some reason I just had this urge. I just want to get on the golf course. And he's like, Oh, like you ever played golf before? Like, let's just putt for a little bit. And, you know, we, maybe like next time you come, we can go on the golf course. And I was like, Adam, and I was like, no, like we're going to go on the course. Like that's what I want to do. And he wouldn't let me. And it, it made me like, I was pretty upset about it, you know, being a little kid. And, uh, then we went home and I told my dad, I was like, dad, like, let's go, like, you want to play some golf or something? Like, can we do that? And he had this old Dunlop putter. And they're in the neighborhood I lived in at the time. There's there's this neighborhood golf course. And we just walked out and snuck on to, like, I don't remember what it was, this downhill part three. And we just started whacking putts around the screen. We dropped some balls in the bunker, hitting bunker shots with a putter. Like, I mean, we were just <laughs> messing around. No, no clue what we were doing, sure. but we were just messing around. Uh, and then I just like, from there, I was like, I, I, I like this. I don't know what about it. I just liked it. And, uh, so we just, just kept playing, uh, dad bought me a set and we just started, you know, practicing almost every day. And, uh, you know, after a year or two or so, I started playing junior events, uh, on this tour called NJGT, which is actually still around now. Uh, who's, it was run by uh, Victor Wiggins' dad, and I don't know if you know who Victor Wiggins is, but he was he played at Auburn for a little while. He was a very highly ranked junior golfer and didn't quite pan out after that. But I'm pretty sure he's still playing professional golf. But um, that was so I, I started playing on that tour, and uh, actually, first that, that's where I met Matt Sharpstein, who's also the semifinals at the AM this yeah. year. So. So that, that was pretty cool to see, like, from, we basically started junior golf together on that tour and I've known him, you know, my entire life. So, you know, kind of working my way through there and then just kept playing kind of state tournaments and, you know, by probably around sixth grade or so, fifth, sixth grade, I was one of the better players in the state. And then seventh, eighth grade, I started playing AJJ events and then kind of like kept going, you know, through the AJGA cycle of you know, the opens and invitationals and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, and then kind of led you eventually kinda, yeah, got you kind of not to cut you off, but kind of got you on that path. I didn't want to, I wanted to ask you one thing really quick before we talk about yeah. what led you. So you're five foot eight and, yeah. um, definitely, you know, your, your distance, we talked a little earlier about, you know, how far you hit the ball. Um, and you're, I mean, obviously there's some absolute ridiculous bombers out there. We all know those characters, but you're, you were pretty much right with everyone you played with or against at the USAM for what I could tell. Um, but let me ask you, did you always have the strength for, for distance or is that something that you had to kind of work towards through your junior career? Because I'm just guessing if you're five, eight now, uh, you probably weren't five, eight when you were 10 or 11. So, um, I, I'm just curious how, as far as distance, how did that, how did you kind of get, get this great distance with your, into your game? It's kind of funny growing up. Like, obviously I was always a small kid 
and it would make me so mad that I like there were kids <laughs> hitting it by me. Like that was the thing. Like my like I would always tell my coaches, always tell my dad, like I'm I don't I hit it too short. Like I hit it too short. Right. And you know, I think part of it was just from playing ice hockey growing up, and you know, I kind of had some speed. I don't. I've just always had a lot of like fast switch muscles, and like since a young age, I've just always swung super hard at it, fired my lower body, you know, got you know, got up on my toes, and uh, like over time, just doing that repeatedly, I just found a way to create a lot of speed. Because like when we do different, you know, any like jumping type exercise or speed exercise or anything that, that's fast twitch, I do really well at it uh it's just i've just found a way like my body naturally is just very fast right so it kind of was a thing that i didn't like being short so i found a way not to be short and pretty much since you know like middle school i've always been the time i've always been that little kid who can actually hit it pretty far so it and it's just kind of it's just kind of one of those things that you know because i'm not i'm not like i'm overly muscular i'm not overly big like i don't have much weight to me like it's just kind of, it's just one of those things. I just found a way to create speed and it definitely is a huge benefit versus, you know, cause there are a lot of guys out there who perform really well with not, not hitting anywhere. Like John Pack hits it. I got I, not to, not to crap on John Pack cause I love we do, no, kid, we're but, okay. We could do that. I give John a hard yeah. time as much as possible. Um, really John and Stuart Hagestad get a lot. Yeah. They're targeted a lot. So really the floodgates are open. You can do whatever you want to. You're good. Yeah. Like I love John to death. He's one of my favorite people, but I mean, he hits it nowhere, like absolutely nowhere, but the kid can play. <laughs> I mean, the, the kid, the kid's unbelievable. Like, I mean, he's so good. And so like, I mean, it's more than doable. You don't need distance. Like, I think that's one thing a lot of people talk about on tour is that like, you got to hit it farther. You got to hit it farther to play with those guys. And it's like, I mean, the average club that's beat on PJ tour is 112 miles an hour. Like, I mean, they're not hitting it that far. Cause I mean, on the courses, like they play like distance is a huge factor, but I mean, you gotta be in the fairway. So yeah, I think, I think the di- like building up that distance and you know creating that speed definitely helped, and I think that was just more of I mean it's just a natural thing that I kind of always had. So I'm guessing if you have any sort of jumping drills or agility drills or sprints, you're taking care of a lot of the guys on your team right now. Oh uh, yeah, I mean I I don't think there's anyone on our team can out sprint me. I gotta be honest, like. I can running is I actually ended up hurting myself running last fall, but um, I like for some reason I I don't really like to run, but it's just like like, I don't like to run, but like there's there are not many things athletically that I I, I'll tell people that I know I can beat you at, but I mean running is definitely or sprinting is definitely one of those things. So how embarrassing is it when you and Hovland and Wolf uh, get on a line and for a sprint? I mean, who who's getting the who's getting the bronze medal there? I don't know. Javi runs a ton, like a ton. I, he he after our prime, he left his car at the golf course last year for a fundraiser, and he decided to run thirteen miles back what? to Carson. And I, I mean, he does stuff like that all the time, and so. I we I've never you know, we've never gotten on the line in sprint or anything. Like we don't really do sprints and workouts, but I feel like if I got on the line with them, I'd beat them. But 
I mean, Javi would definitely beat me long distance because I don't. I mean, I'm not. You're never going to see me go and run he's, 13 uh, miles. That's yeah, just not happening. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, he uh, he's kind of trimmed off some of that baby fat, didn't he? He's uh, he's looking like uh, he's looking like an athlete these days. Oh yeah, he's he's been big on the fitness uh, or fitness and just eating well. Like I mean, he's gone on this diet, you know, where he just you know low calorie intake, high protein, and you know. And he's getting after it, you know, going on runs. He goes on, he's been going on runs every day for a long time, you know, getting in the gym. Like, I mean, he, that's just what he likes to do. I yeah. mean, he just, he wants to get in shape. So props to him for doing that. Cause he's definitely, especially since when I got here, my freshman year, he's definitely trimmed off a lot of like, just that loose kind of like, like you said, baby fat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so let's talk about you getting into to, to Oklahoma State. I mean, this is obviously there are a handful of programs that are all at that top level where, you know, that's that's kind of an eye turner. It, it definitely gets people's attention when you say you're committing, you're going to an Oklahoma State or, a you know, a Stanford, a Texas, anything like that. And, uh, you know, walk me through, I guess, the recruiting process and how you manage such a large decision where, you know, it's it's not only such a a great university great opportunity but you know that you're under scrutiny everyone is looking at Oklahoma State and this is not just going to another D1 program that has nice facilities you know you can find that all over the country this is this is serious this is the creme de la creme of, of college of college golf so when did uh, when did OSU start becoming a reality that you were uh, looking at so, yeah, I had a little different path kind of college than most other people did. So, like, I graduated in 2017, and coming out of high school, my plan was I was going to turn pro. So, I uh, I went to – I finished – my ju- the junior players was my last junior event um, at the end of August. And then the, that went straight from there to Brunswick, Georgia, for the start of uh, – what was then web.com Q school and uh, obviously now it's corn Ferry, but yeah. uh, went there, made it through pre qualifying there. And then a couple weeks later, hopped on a plane and went to London and played in the first stage of European tour Q school. And then ended up, I ended up actually tying uh, the course record there the last day to make the cut. Which is funny because Frankie Sappen was the kid who held the course record there yeah. from a Falcon Series event, and we had been talking about it. And he's like, "Well, just go try to beat my course record," and didn't quite get that done, but I tied it. But anyways, I got through there, and then uh, so then I had, and then I went back home. And first stage of WebQ school was actually in my hometown at a course that I had gr- grown up playing on. So ended up making it through that first stage. So then I was in the second stage of both and had to choose since the second stage is that you're overlapped. So I had to pick one. Right. So uh, I decided I want to stay in the States. So I decided I was going to try to get my web card. Had a rough second round that kind of threw me out of it. Um, but so I didn't, I played good the last two days, but it wasn't quite enough. So didn't, didn't get any status there. I did get some challenge tour status from what I did in the European Q school. But I didn't want to turn pro and give up my, you know, amateur status for for challenge tour status. I just didn't think it was worth it. So uh, I would, you know, went down to Florida and I was just playing mini tour stuff down there, just trying to find stuff to play in. 
and then kind of the amateur stuff kind of started back up. Uh, and I was just like, well, I'm ranked well, like I have nothing to play in. Might as well go play some amateur stuff and just, you know, play with playing some good fields, you know, give me something to do. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, played, started the Azalea with Terracotta, went to the British Am, the St. Andrews Lynch trophy. And, you know, uh, didn't quite have the finishes I wanted in those events didn't feel like my game I kind of felt my game had gone backwards kind of since Q school and uh, just was struggling a little bit and I just talked to some of my friends uh, that were in college golf and decided like you know maybe I just wanted that's maybe that's something that's what I wanted to do so I emailed uh, a couple coaches and went on I went on a visit to Auburn I went on a visit to Georgia because I was down in Spartanburg with the Phillips, Trent Trevor Phillips, or like that family. I'm very close to that family. And they, when they heard I was going to college, like you, you have to go to George, like you have to at least visit there for us. Yeah. So they, uh, that day they called hack and I was driving home at 10 at night and I got a call from coach hack. And he was like, Hey, I didn't know you realized you're still going to college. Uh, you should come by. And I went and visited there. And then, um, uh, OSU was going to be my second to last visit. Then I was supposed to go from here to SMU. And, uh, you know, just as soon as even before, and even before I got, I, before I got to OSU coach Brad and had flown in to Concord, you know, just sit down at breakfast with me and just talk about some things and probably talk for two hours. And he kind of said some things that, I hadn't heard any other coaches talk about, you know, like every other coach talked to me about, you know, being a good college player, I'm a good college career, you know, hopefully making the tour. And the conversation with coach Bratton was different in the way that, you know, almost from the get go, like he was big on like, you know, we, we may, we're, we're here to win national championships. Like that's what we're about here to win tournaments. Sure. But at the end of the day, like if you come here, like we want guys who want to play the PGA tour. And if that's if that's what you want to do, then this is the right place for you. Uh, and you know, he just went into detail of you know all the things he thought that I need to do, and you know what, why some guys made and some didn't. And it was just a totally different conversation that pointed toward the direction of me knowing I wanted to play professional golf. So uh, just that talk alone already kind of sparked my interest more than anywhere else. And then when I got to Stillwater, visited the place and saw Karsten Creek and, sure. you know, met all the coaches and the you know, staff and everything. I was like, okay, like I didn't even end up going on that SMU visit just because I was like this, you know, this is it for me. It was a pretty, it was a pretty simple decision. And it was crazy because it all, I didn't email a coach until the first week of July, like a month before school started. So it was all pretty quick. Sure. Uh, and I made my decision within two weeks. So it, it was a pretty quick decision, but it wasn't a very hard decision. So let me ask you this one. Um, just kind of backtracking a little bit. I mean, that's, that's a great, I'm, I appreciate you walking me through just the entire process, but what, what was leading you down the path of turning pro and not playing college golf from the get go? Was it just, you wanted to play professionally as quickly as possible, or were you just kind of dipping your toe into it and, and then thinking, I'm probably going to end up playing college golf, but let me at least see what kind of status I can grab before I do that. Can you, can you share anything about that decision process? Yeah. So 
I when I decided I was gonna do that, I honestly didn't. I didn't go into it with the intention that I was gonna play college golf. Like I, I, I firmly believed I was gonna turn pro, and like that, that was it. Like I, this is what I was gonna do. Sure. And the reason. The reason being, not only did I not that I was it because I thought I was good enough, which I did, and you know my way I, when I talked to my coach and my dad and you know my family, like we all thought that was the best decision. Uh, but the thinking on it was more so that like if I knew I was going to play professional golf and that's what I wanted to do, like why not just start now? Right. And and even if like what everyone was saying was true that you know I was going to get my face kicked in and that you know, I wasn't going to be ready or whatever it was, uh, let's so be it, but I'm just going to learn from that way faster than, you know, learning at the college level, which by no means is a lower, like a low level or anything. Right. Uh, college golf is at an all time high. It's, I, I think it's, I think it's more competitive than the mini tours. I think, you know, I think in this day and age, people at this level are just way better than they used to be. Uh, but anyways, I, it was more just, if I, this is what you want to do, then this is what you want to do. So might as well just start now and, uh, you know, get your, um, get whatever you need to figure out, figured out, because this is where you can learn the most is playing, you know, with the best players in the world. So that, that was the thinking there. And I think it just, uh, it just didn't quite pan out the way I wanted it to. And I think there were just some, I just not, so not as much from a golf standpoint as a, person standpoint i think i needed to grow up a little bit you know being be away from home you know be in college like be you know make your own decisions stuff like that so that was definitely part of the reason i ended up going back to college but uh the main thing was i i wanted to play professional golf so i just thought i should just start now yeah no that makes sense and and you know i i i got to spend some time with akshay bati at the walker cup last year and i know that he basically is doing exactly what uh, what you're saying he he for yeah. we, and it's and it's just gonna be fascinating to watch his progression i know he already picked up a, a professional win i believe it was on the apt tour and you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a long road but i think he's gonna make it. it but it's it's going to be fascinating to watch him and watch how he progresses uh because yeah, I mean you're right. He's growing up in, in out on a professional tour and traveling. You're you're growing up in a in a in a bubble, not a bubble, but you're growing up in a a really solid environment at Stillwater. And I'm guessing you are learning things every single day that you probably never even knew you needed to learn just by being around Coach Bratton and the entire staff and also incredible teammates that now the world knows all about uh, the Hovlins and and the Wolves and. Um, I can't imagine a better place for you as far as wanting to play professionally someday. And you're, you're seeing it firsthand with what they've done in just their first year outside as professional. That's the thing is like, I feel like it goes, I, I feel like people understand, but they don't understand to agree how much coach Brian and coach star like can do for someone that want, like wants to get to that next level. Uh, there's a lot of like little things that, they picked up from their time in playing and coaching that, you know, you just like things that you just don't even think about, you know, like, you know, getting like teeing up on a certain part of the tee when the winds, you know, crosswind, you know, to get more downwind, like, you know, like there's like little things that like you never really like, you know, but you don't know. And when you kind of put it into like, you almost have it like said to you and you kind of hear like, okay, that makes sense. And like slowly one by one, like those little things make, you know, 
one, two, three, four shots of a difference of a round. You know, you if you go, you know, three shots around for a three day turn, that's nine shots. I mean, that's it's a big difference. So yeah. I mean, and you can look at like what Matt and Victor have done, you know, in their first year out, um, especially Matt winning as quickly as he did. I think it just goes to show how well, you know, Coach Bratton and Coach Dar prepare 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 us for that next level and it's why everyone's you know, we've been so successful over, you know past history yeah and what and i guess something else i'm thinking about is when you eventually turn pro you're not looking at the young stars on the pga tour like you know matt and 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 victor hovland and um you know morikawa and neiman and we go down the line but i guess for you coming out of stillwater i mean part of you is looking at like okay wow these guys are really doing great but it's not unattainable i was just playing with these guys a year ago and I, I, you know, we'd go back and forth and, and they'd kick my butt, but I'd kick their butt too in practice sessions. So it's not something that I can get to. I'm thinking that has to be a huge advantage as well. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I'll be honest, like there are times and I love Matt and Victor to death and they're two of my really close friends, but there are times when I would see them, you know, they would win a tournament or they do really well on a tour event. And I would, I, I would be kind of pissed off. I would just be like, like that would almost make me mad a little bit and not that it, that they did well. Cause I'd be so really happy for him, but it's like, you know, that competitive guy. And you're just like, I've been playing with those guys. You know, yeah. I just played with those guys for a year. Like I, I, they come back to Stillwater all the time. I play with them. It's like, like, yeah, like they may beat me more than I beat them, but I still beat them a good amount. Like, I mean, I'm, it's not like, you know, they're way better than me, but so that definitely is just a big, it's just a big motivation for me. And I sure. think for all the guys just to see, you know, them do that. And even you can even stretch out to what Colin has done or what Joaquin has done. I mean, you know, those guys are, you know, basically the same age as us and yeah. they're out, you know, winning on the PGA tour and like Colin just won a PGA championship. So I think, I think those, what those guys have done, have just been more of a motivation than anything for anybody else. Uh, for, you know, just some of the guys in college that say, Hey, like, I mean, they did it. I mean, why can't, why can't any of us? I think that's going to be a huge factor in what the PGA Tour is going to look like in the next, you know, two, three, five, six, seven years, whatever you want to call it. I think it's going to be not just the young players coming up, but then they're coming up to their peers that they just played college golf with. And they're like, oh, I, this is, this is, this, this jump is not as, it's not the Grand Canyon I thought it is. So. No, exactly. I mean, obviously, Obviously, like the PGA Tour has the best players in the world, and uh, like the, I mean, you can't you can't argue that the PGA Tour is the best tour in the world, and right. those guys those guys are very very good at what they do. Yeah. So I mean, not not to knock them for any of that, but I think it definitely it definitely shows that it's not as unattainable as it may have seemed in the past. I right. think it definitely inspired more people to do it faster i think more guys will maybe not to the degree they did but maybe who knows uh but i think it'll definitely uh i I think it'll definitely make a change in how the tour looks and how people progress from college to the pga tour in the next like you said five seven ten years yeah so um how do you balance you're at oklahoma state this is like i said elite d1 program how do you balance being a member of this team 
but also wanting to be a just a normal college kid that on occasion may want to be up till three in the morning eating pizza and sleeping until 10. I mean, how do you, how do you balance that? Cause you, it can't just be full bore 24 seven. You got to let loose a little bit. Is it conscious or is it just things happen or like, how, how do you find that balance so you don't get burnt out and you can actually enjoy your college experience? That's definitely been something that me and coaches have talked about for me specifically. And, and I'm not the only one, but, uh, it's definitely, it definitely is a learning experience for sure. When you first get here, you know, you're out of the house for the first time. You, you know, almost to agree, have no rules. Like you can kind of do whatever you want. They let girls and, just run around all over the campus, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Damn I mean, you just, yeah, just everything, everything is almost out to get you in a way to like distract you from it a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, I'll be honest. I wasn't the best about managing it when I first got here. And I, and I could, I know a bunch of guys who had the same issue, but I think at the end of the day, like if you really want, if you really want it and like, that's what like, you know, professional golf is what you want. Like it doesn't, you, you, you like, you break out of that thought process pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, you start to kind of realize, like, okay, like I can still have a ton of fun and still do all the things, you know, I want to do. Right. But like, do I really need to be going out on this, you know, Wednesday or Thursday night? Exactly. Like, I, like, do I need to, like, they can do, like, you know, my, some of my friends, they can do that. Like, you know, all they have to do is class tomorrow, but then they can sleep the rest of the day. You know, you, you got class and then you got to go, you may have workouts the next morning and then you got to go practice all day. Like, and you don't want to be, you know, tired, or, you know, whatever from that. So I think, uh, I think it definitely was a learning curve for me and I definitely have to make, I definitely still do make conscious decisions like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to go do this. Uh, just for, you know, just because I know I have to, like, you got to make some sacrifice to get anywhere in life. Well, and I'm also guessing you mentioned, you know, practice and lifting and, and obviously qualifiers are a big part of who, you know, that's a big part of who decides or or who goes on the, uh, the, the tournament list or who goes on the trip that makes the starting five. And um, I just remember talking to, uh, I think it's Joey Verzich at Pepperdine. And when I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, the, the qualifiers are just so incredibly competitive that when we get to the tournament site, it's almost like you're on a golf trip, you're on a golf vacation. I mean, there's, yeah. there's business to do, but I mean, I'm guessing your qualifiers are insane. Also, I mean, forget about, I mean, not just this year, but last year when you're, you know, battling out with, uh, you know, Zach Boshu and then, you know, Eckroat and, and, you know, obviously Hovland Wolf, I mean, your qualifiers must be absolutely cutthroat, especially Carson Creek, which is a very difficult golf course. My freshman year is a little different. Uh, you know, we, like coaches, we, those five guys were kind of, you know, they were kind of setting the lineup. Yeah. I mean, they were in like, I mean, they're phenomenal players. I mean, it's hard to sit down any of those guys. It kind of changed kind of in the spring when I started to play well, I started, we started doing a little more qualifying. Uh, and then last year, uh, you know, we had a lot of new guys. So it was just about, you know, we have all these guys like who, who do we, who do we start? Like we don't, you know, we only have, you know, four guys returning and me and Eckert are the only ones who really played the year before. So it was definitely very different. And there's, you know, a lot of competition to get into those five spots and then this year is going to, I think it'd be even more so. We have 13 guys this year. We have, you know, five new guys, all who are, you know, very talented players. So, uh, and we were 
we're uh, starting qualifying next week. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how that goes. But I think, you know, for sure, I mean, the qualifying, I've talked about this on my teammates before, like qualifying is honestly more nerve wracking than the tournament actually is. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're playing the qualifier, you're like, okay, well, if I don't play well this week, I don't even get the chance to, you know, play well next week. So once you get through the qualifier, you're almost like, oh, you kind of get like a sigh of relief and uh, you're basically, you're, you're in the tournament. So oh, then you're like, okay, now I, just, now I just get to go play golf. You know, it doesn't matter. It may matter what the other people do, like for if you're going to win or, you know, however you're going to perform that week. But it's not like you're fighting it out just to go to the tournament, which is because, I mean, missing tournaments is not a fun, it's not a great feeling. I, oh. for my freshman year, it, missing tournaments, it, it, it made me mad. I was just like, God, like I, I just, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really come here to sit at home. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, especially I mean, I the guy that's th- that thinking about turning professional, you go yeah. from like, okay, now, I'm, uh, you know, for lack of better terms, I'm on the bench and, yeah. uh, yeah, I bet you that's a real gr- that's a that's a process that you have to go through. I mean, I bet you grew up really quick in that one year. That year, I think having the guys on the team that I did and coaches, you know, really pushing me to like get to where they thought I should be. I think it, it I grew up pretty fast. Like it took me some time. Like my first semester at school, like I you know, I waste a lot of time. I messed around, like, you know, I was doing dumb college kid things. And, uh, you know, eventually like, it got to the point where I just had everyone to like, Hey, like, just, just do a little more. Like you, we all have fun. Like everyone here understands it, but you, I mean, you gotta do a little more and, uh, you know, Victor and Zach and Matt and Austin and Hayden, like, I mean, everyone there just was pretty supportive of me. And, uh, you know, it definitely helped me grow as a person pretty quickly. And I think I still even did a lot of growing uh, last year, my sophomore year, you know, just kind of like, okay, I kind of going into the year, I was definitely, I was one of our best players uh, and, you know, everyone kind of knew it. And I just didn't, I didn't perform as well as I, nearly as well as I should have the first few events. And it's just kind of a, just kind of due to me not doing the things I need to be doing, like getting up on time, practicing enough, uh, working on the right things. Uh, and you know, eventually like I, I, I talked about it before, just kind of coaches had that talk with me about, Hey, like you're good enough, but, and you're going to beat people doing what you're doing, but you're not going to be, you're not going to be the best player in the world. You're not going to perform or succeed at a very high level consistently doing that. And, uh, I think I just, I thought about that a lot and uh, going into the fall, I started or going to the spring. Sorry. I started to play better uh, just because I just kind of had that mindset. Like, Hey, like you don't have, you don't need to be at the course from eight to eight every day. That's not what anyone's asking you to do. Right. But, but I mean, you also can't go play nine holes and go home. Like, you know, you, you gotta, there's gotta be a balance between the two. So uh, definitely the last, you know, two, two years or so however long I've been in college have definitely more so than anything. Like I've obviously my game's gotten sharper in different places and I'm a better player now than I was then. But I don't even think, I don't even think I've really improved skills nearly as much as I've just grown up like as a person to be able to like, you know, make the right decision and do the right things sure. that lead to me playing better. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like you just mentioned, I, I don't need to be there from eight to eight, uh, but I need to do a little bit more. It kind of, you know, I I just had a chance to speak with Brandon Wu coming off of his uh, championship in the Corn Ferry for the Corn Ferry Tour Championship. You know, really thoughtful guy. You know, very much like yourself, and just he was saying how you know I I can't just be at the golf course all the time. I need to find a balance and find something yeah. to you know unplug the golf brain for a little bit because if I don't, then I'm I'm going to go nuts. So, you know, are there different things that have kind of challenged you outside of golf that you've used as I w- I don't want to trivialize and say a hobby like your you know, crocheting or something on the, on the, you know, sitting you know, on the couch, but like, how do you unplug from, from golf and all the expectations that are, you know, put upon you by obviously yourself and, and obviously your team and your coaches? Uh, how, how have you done that? How have you unplugged so you can kind of have that nice balance? Honestly, like for me, like my best way to unplug is I just go hang out with my friends and, you know, just like be a kid. Like yeah. I, 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 I am so I really enjoy just spending time with my friends and, you know, just, you know, kicking back and doing like maybe even just doing nothing. Like that's kind of my way to unplug. Like sure. don't talk about, we don't talk about golf or, you know, what happened the last tournament or whatever it was. Uh, just cause like, I mean, all my friends, you know, play golf, they, you know, keep up with our stuff and, you know, like, you know, that's all super cool. But you know, when we're hanging out, like golf is just not what we're talking about. It's just, you know, girls or, yes. you know, TV show or, <laughs> you know, video games, whatever, whatever it is. Like, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just random, like normal, you know, 21 year old stuff. And that's kind of always been my way to just decompress from, you know, golf tournaments and, you know, any pressure from any of that. And, uh, that, that seems to work well for me. Cause that's kind of like what I've always done. That's a good recipe. Gosh, being 21 again. Oh, frightening. Um, that would be awesome. Anyway, what uh, what is the best college event you've played in? And I don't mean score, and I don't mean the course. I'm talking about what's the best hang, because you obviously you're around a lot of other college players, and um, you know you guys are all together. I'm sure they have the the group meals and the group outings and different things like that. But um, what's the best hang? Uh, I would say my favorite. Like probably my favorite college tournament. I want to say my favorite. Yeah, my favorite college tournament is either between Cabo or East Lake Cup. Okay. And it's just kind of for two. Like Cabo, Cabo is just a cool event from the start. Like I mean, you're you're in Cabo. Like you, you can't complain about that to sure. begin with. And uh, you know you're at a resort. You play super sweet golf course. B.A. Klein, who's one of my favorite people in the world, oh, has done gonna, so are much. You're going to make her happy, boy. I mean, you're just done. <laughs> done so many, just so many nice things for no reason for me and so many other guys. Like, just always out to make your life better. So, um, I mean, it's that one. That's top of the list for that. And then East Lake Cub. I mean, just kind of the way they run it, and you know you. Like it's obviously televised, but that's not like that's not even what it's about. Like they just they run a world class event for like they pull out the stops. You know, it's East Lake Cup was super fun and it was just kind of a cool week in general, kind of how it all went. So I would say those two 
are definitely at the top of my list. Well, you are making points with BA Klein. You're, you're <laughs> smart. You're a smart guy. What what is the what is the um, I've seen pictures of this, and I've actually never been able to ask a player about this. Explain this. Um, is it a taco eating? contest or something at, at the Cabo what you know what I'm talking about right yeah so right, wait, explain this because I've never actually talked about this and I've always been curious so what the hell is this so it's uh it was a little different this year since there was a change of golf course uh but uh every year that there's like before the practice round on the driving range is you know kind of like gazebo kind of building and they have guys just making tacos I mean I, and I, 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 I promise like, these are the best tacos you've ever had. Like okay. they, they are incredible. And basically, you know, after breakfast, BA just goes around and asks like, Hey coach, who ate the most tacos? And, uh, you know, I think, I don't, I, I think Ekro, my freshman year ate like 13 or something <laughs> and or something, something ridiculous. And, uh, and that's just kind of like, I, I don't know when that started, but I feel like it, I'm pretty sure it's been going on for a while. So yeah, like, I, like and then this year we were at a different golf course, and they had, they ha- they did actually have a stand on the range. They had a, almost the same looking thing, and it was the same thing. Be able just go around asking who ate the most tacos. So I mean, it's a pretty fun event uh, for sure. It just does does stuff like that. But uh, yeah, there's just always tacos on the range. So she likes to see who can eat the most. That's uh, that's got to be a tournament that one. I mean, that's one you really want to qualify for too. I mean, that's... oh yeah. I mean, Cabo is Cabo sucks to miss. Like they're you know, Hawaii, obviously is up there too. But I mean, Cabo is Cabo, in my opinion, is just way more fun. Like I mean, it's from the moment you get there, you have we stay with Chuck Watson, who's a donor for us, and he's you know he's awesome, and house is right on the on the ocean. So I mean, it's it, it doesn't get. Yeah, was, any better I, I, it doesn't was, get any better i than was that just one. thinking i don't think you would have the same accommodations playing in like a european challenge tour event or a corn ferry tour event uh oh god no. yeah exactly um no chance no chance and um i, I want to ask you you were i know you were at the big 12 uh conference championship because there's that great picture of you with the guys um uh, with the trophy were you at the national championship Yep, I was. Okay. So, obviously, the five were, were Wolf, Hovland, uh, Eckroat, Boshu, and Hayden Wood. So, that's the starting five. You're there. I'm guessing you're there as a sub in case something happens. Can you maybe talk? Because that's – I didn't know if you were there, so I'm just curious what uh, – how that – what was that set up for the national championship at, at Blessings in Arkansas? Yeah, so I was the sub going. I was a sub for the postseason. Um, so I was at conference regionals and nationals. Um, and yeah, so I was just there. You know, someone, the coaches felt like they need to make a change, or someone just got sick or got hurt. Then uh, that's what I was there for. Um, so it definitely was. It definitely was cool to be there. Uh, it was a little frustrating not being in the lineup, obviously, sure. but um, definitely was definitely was just a motivation. Like, hey, like, yeah, this year wasn't your year, uh, but um, it definitely was a motivation for me just to for the years coming. Like, hey, like this, it showed me how cool, especially nationals, is as just as an event, and. 
I definitely kind of learned from, you know, watching Matt or Victor and, you know, watching them compete. And it was just cool to be around it for sure. Uh, and I definitely got a lot of motivation out of that week. When you're around an event like that compared to the other college tournaments, because really, you know, for unless you're a really serious uh, follower of, of college golf, you know, that tournament is really what the casual golf fan sees. They just see the national championship because it's on Golf Channel. You know, some people obviously will attend a college tournament. Maybe there's a couple that are streaming or televised in a regional network. But for the most part, this is – and the Eastlake Cup, that's true. The Eastlake, and I know they're doing a little bit more – but that's really the one time where, where the casual golf fan gets to see uh, college golf on television. From someone that got to obviously play in a lot of college tournaments and, and for these the national or for the regionals in the conference, you're you're a spectator, you're a sub. But did you get a different vibe from that? Did you kind of feel that a little bit of the oxygen was suck, was sucked out of that place? Was everyone a little bit a little bit more tense than usual? Uh and at nationals, you mean? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, not at all. I, I mean, we we're pretty, you know, upbeat. I mean, especially that year, we we're pretty upbeat, you know, kind of. Oh, I didn't mean necessarily your, your team. I just mean in general, like I, I I'm just trying to, oh, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking yeah, you about mean people in general. I'm yeah. Just talking I would about the say general tournament because like, you know, how much different is it than just a standard? I mean, no, a lot more is on the line, but I just kind of the general vibe of it. Cause I mean, you're there walking. I'm sure you're there in the in the match play portion. I'm sure I don't know who you were following there uh, when you guys were, were going, um, you know, when you're going up against uh, you know Texas. But I'm I'm guessing that just that has to be an atmosphere you're never going to forget. Yeah, I mean it. It's definitely a totally different atmosphere when you step out. You know, when you step out anywhere at a national championship, regardless that blessings or Karsten or Greyhawk or wherever it is. Uh, and it, it's definitely, you can, you can kind of feel some of, you know, the, you can kind of feel how tense it is in the air a little bit. Sure. Uh, there are definitely a lot of guys that are there and they're like, you know, you know, shaking their boots a little bit, like, God, this is a national championship. Uh, but I think overall, like the vibe is just, it's almost, it's totally different because you don't usually have that many fans. Like you don't usually have that many people watching, like there's no other college event where you can hear roars from two or three holes over. I mean, you don't get that in college golf very often. So it's definitely, I would say less as much of a tense, you know, atmosphere. I, I, cause there definitely is some of that, but I would say more so it's just, I mean, it's just almost like an awe-inspiring kind of uh, atmosphere. You, you know, you, they, they run it almost like a tour event, you know, you, and again, like I think, just the crowds being there and the people being there definitely makes makes the vibe just totally different than any other college event. I was watching that. Uh, I mean, I was watching it live on TV. Um, your, your match against or, or Oklahoma State's match against Texas. I mean, I I saw Zach Zach Boshu's putt horseshoe and just was like, oh my gosh. I mean, just I don't care if you're a fan of Texas, Oklahoma State. I don't care who you're rooting for. That's just ridiculously brutal. I mean, it's 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 terrible. And um, I'm I'm just thinking to myself, you know, people that are looking at this team, they're like, okay, all these guys are turning pro. All these guys are gonna, you know, whether it's it's Hovland, whether it's Wolf, whoever, they're gonna turn pro. They're gonna go on to bigger and better things. And um, 
I'm just guessing that regardless of the fact that they're, they have futures in, in the game, that absolutely has to be just a crushing thing for any college athlete or college team to deal with when you get that close to repeating or you get that close to the finals. To bring me inside or bring listeners inside the team room, so to speak, how is the how how brutal is that environment when you work all year and you obviously you're in a spot where you couldn't do anything to help you're as a sub but you see these guys that have spent so much time in the program and you can really clearly see how much it meant to them that day was equally crushing for not only those five guys but all eight guys on our team i mean they're i mean i yeah, those. I think those guys play, like obviously those are the five that you know controlled whether we won or not. Sure. But I mean, at the end of the day, we're all a team, so we you know we pushed each other, we practiced together, we played the golf together every day, we went to the tournaments. So uh, I think like that day, or I, I remember standing on that on the first green during the first playoff hole, and uh, Boshu had that putt to extend the match. And it was a three footer. I like. I knew in my head. I was like, I mean, how many three footers have you seen Zach miss? Like, it, he's gonna make it. But I couldn't watch. Like, I had my my head in my in my arm. Like, I had my eyes closed, and all I heard was, you know, kind of like the crowd's reaction. I was like, did, like, did he just miss? And I looked around. I saw the ball still on the green. Yeah. And, was, and it and it hurt. I mean, we we all walked off that green, you know, arms on each other, you know, in tears. And it, and it didn't hurt any more or any less because of how good we were. It didn't have anything to do with any of that. It's like we, you know, we fought all year and we proved that we were the best team, but it, it still hurt that, you know, it, it just ended like that, you know, yeah. it wasn't the way how we wanted to end it. And we, you know, we all full, we all fully believed we were going to win the national championship that year. So it definitely hurt us like just emotionally it hit us all really hard and it it was tough it was a tough scene uh especially with every, all those guys being gone that was the last time you know we were going to be a team together yeah and uh and it sucked like it really did suck but again like it's just more motivation for for me and Austin coming back and Rasmus and Ferdy and the guys coming in the next year like hey like we didn't get it done last year but I mean, we're not out. We're still here, uh, and we we still are in. We are still here to win national championships. So it's just more motivation for the next year. But that definitely was a really that was a de- definitely a really hard moment to get over. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about before I get you out of here. Let's talk about your latest uh, achievement, which I mean, like I said earlier, uh, not unexpected as far as your your skill and your ability to to get to the semifinals of the U.S. Amateur, but something that maybe most people that were watching that day or watching uh, watching it on TV through as you progress through the match tree or the match play tree, um, you weren't in the field. <laughs> you had yeah. no other way to say it. You were not invited. Um, no. You 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 know the U.S. Am this year was all exemptions based on Wagger. And I think you were right around 500 in the wagger, and it probably, I know that the the top 200 were automatics, and then obviously people couldn't make it, and and other issues uh, you know came up, so they had to go further down the list. 
where where do we begin? I mean, you, you arrive at, at Bandon Dunes. Tell me about the day that you arrived. I mean, the tournament starts on uh, Monday. Monday, August Monday, August 10th was the first day of stroke play. When did you arrive, and what did you do to kind of prepare for the unknown? I, I kind of knew all summer that, like, I'm not in the field. You know, it's bringing in as an alternate. Seems like a long shot, so you have – you know, I had the Southern Am, I had the Sunny Hand, and I had the Western Am to, you know, top two get in to the Am. It's an automatic exemption. Didn't get any of those done. And then, you know, I've been emailed about being an alternate and an on-site alternate. And I was like, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then got a call like Monday night that, hey, like, you're now an on-site alternate. You're number 10. Uh, do you want to come? And I was Reese, Reese told me like, Hey, if I were you, I would go like, I think there's a good chance you get in. I know like it's obviously it's financially, it's not the cheapest to get all the way to Bandon from North Carolina. Sure. But if, if you, if you want to play, I, I, I seriously think you should come. So from then I was like, okay, I'll come. I got in Thursday night and Wednesday afternoon, he had told me I was the first alternate, so I was like, "I'm, I'm going." Like, there, you, there's no way I'm not going to go as first alternate, regardless if I get in. Like, maybe I'd get screwed and don't get in, but I mean, you got to think I'm going to get in with all the COVID stuff and people not be able to travel and whatnot. Yeah. So I got in Thursday night, and Friday afternoon I was out practicing and stuff and hitting some balls, and I was just like, "Well, if I'm here, I might as well make the most of it." you know, get out and practice, you know, see the place. I'll go play the part three. And I was walking over to the part three course, you know, just like kind of half, just like half, half of me just kind of like, <laughs> you don't want to get just begging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like half of me, just like, I'm going to get in. And the other half of me is just like, I really hope I didn't come all the way out here to go home Monday morning. Like I, I just really hope that doesn't happen. And as I was walking to the part three, um, I got a call and they're like, they're like, yeah, so you're, you're in the field. And, uh, so just come in and sign some stuff and you'll be good to go. I mean, you, and you, from that, and sorry, no, from that point on, I just, you know, it was preparation as normal. Go get used to the, the grass and the greens and the wind and all that. So, I mean, you could have been my, uh, you could have worked with me the entire week. I mean, I was doing interviews and photos. I really could have used an extra set of hands, but instead, <laughs> but instead you get to go all the way down to the, uh, get all the way to the semifinals. Um, I saw how bad the wind was in the early part of the week, and then it seemed to die down the closer uh, the, the weekend uh, came, but your first thoughts of playing these practice rounds at Bandon Dunes and Bandon Trails. I mean, there's people all over the country that were watching all over the world that are watching this, this championship. And yeah, they're watching the best amateurs in the world, but a lot of them were thinking, man, I want to go play that place. That looks fun. That just, wow. Bandon Dunes. It's on my bucket list. I can't even imagine what the, f the phones are probably ringing off the hook still at Bandon Dunes, uh, people booking trips for the future. What were your initial thoughts playing these practice rounds in this high wind I'm guessing you're thinking, oh man, this is uh, this is going to be a challenge. Oh yeah, I mean, I remember I was playing the practice round at um, Bandon Trails on Saturday. I was actually playing with Ty that day. Okay. And uh, 
the wind wasn't really blowing until probably the last three or four holes, but the wind, when the wind started blowing, I was like, like, wow, like it's, it blows. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I mean, I just don't think anyone in the stroke play, if the wind's blowing like this, anyone's going to really break, you know, more than a couple under par. Like I just, I, I thought it's so, if the wind blew that hard, I was like, there's no way anyone's going to break par. You, you just, there's too much wind. Uh, but the only, the only part that I was, you know, kind of looking forward to in a way was that if the wind blew, I knew I had a decent advantage over a lot of guys. Like I, I kind of talked about it with Austin, like the guys from Oklahoma, the guys from Texas, yeah. the guys from Kansas kind of have that advantage just because, you know, we're used to playing in the wind so much and not just, you know, a light breeze, but a heavy constant wind like that. Uh, and just being able to know how to flight your golf ball and, you know, how much, you know, distance to take off and whatnot. So I kind of went into thinking, okay, I get, you have this advantage, uh, just use it. So, I mean, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I mean, you, you, you have just as good of a chance to win this week as anybody does. And, um, and I played Van Dunes the next day in the afternoon and I was hitting, you know, <laughs> two iron from 160 yards, just like trying to like get, get it to the green. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is going to be a, this is going to be a crazy week. And, uh, you know, sure enough, like first day at stroke play, I ended up, you know, shooting 64. Yes, you did. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, and I was like, I'm, probably in match play now like i don't want to jinx it but like it would take a lot to knock me out of match play at this point so i was like just go put up your round tomorrow and then see what you can do in match play so it definitely was crazy how big you know friday afternoon how different my life was friday afternoon to just a couple days later and then i was in you know i was six seed or whatever for match play yeah no it was a, it was a great run in fact i i was following the scores on that first day and i was like well something's happening out at trails i better get out there and and, uh, yeah, I was right there at seven. Let's see. I saw you, I think I saw you at about the 11th hole, that, that little cubby area right by the, there's a halfway house and that's where the seventh green, yeah. eighth tee. Then, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I saw you running through that and then you obviously make it to match play and really have, um, you know, you had, a kind of two blowouts and then two close ones kind of sandwiched together. You got through the 64 easily. Then you won up over Jonathan Yawn in 32 and then uh, a, a quick one against Bennett in the round of 16. And then this really incredible match against Thorburnson uh, where you win one up on the 18th hole. And I'm not going to take you obviously through every single match, but I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Thorburnson match where, you know, I know he's not bombing it you know incredible distances past you but he's he's a little bit longer than you and and i'm guessing when you're hitting first you know a lot of like i said a lot of people that listen to the podcast they don't play a lot of match play um they don't perhaps think of the fact that being a little bit shorter than your opponent can be an advantage but i'm guessing that that was an occurrence throughout that match following him and watching him watching you play I, I feel that maybe he is a little bit more of an aggressive player than you if I'm wrong then definitely correct me but can you talk a little bit about that match as far as someone that is hitting first into greens and how that can be an advantage at times I think hitting first is almost a, it's a big advantage if you can if you can hit the shot uh 
because there's so many times where you'll hit first and you know, you'll miss the green or something like that, and then he's you know so freed up, not just specifically him, but anybody's just so freed up to you know just hit a shot at the. I mean, you literally you can't be in a worse off spot, so you just kind of like okay, I'm just gonna hit this to ten feet, and everyone for some reason more often than not they'll hit a good one close and put some a lot more pressure on you. Versus if you go first and you hit a close one, then they're like, okay, I'm going to have to press here. And then they end up, you know, pushing into a bunker or short-siding themselves or something along those lines. So I think hitting first can definitely, I mean, I think for me personally, I would much rather hit first anytime than hit second. Yeah, because like you do get the advantage if you hit second to see what the other person did. Right. And you can, you know, if they like mess up or something, you can kind of like play a little smarter, but at the same time, it's, it, there's some, it's hard to, it's hard to equate that with you actually just putting pressure on somebody like that and making them have to hit, go hit a golf shot. And, uh, I personally like that a little better. Yeah, it definitely, uh, it definitely took you to the brink. I mean, you, you run through the, the semi or run through to the uh, semifinals, uh, obviously, you know, the, the loss against Tyler on, on the final hole, I saw you walking off that green and, and, uh, you know, that was the one time that I, you know, as, as someone that was capturing content, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you, as someone that was capturing content, um, for, for the entire week for the USGA and obviously for the back of the range. I mean, I took a lot of photos, a lot of videos, and I don't know if you remember it, but man, you walked right past me off of that green after you shook his hand. And that was the time that I was like, you know, I just don't want to capture this moment because that's such a really brutal finish to a match. And, you know, you were obviously really upset and, and rightfully so. And I, I just got to tell you, there's one time in the entire week where I was like, I wish I could disappear right now because this is kind of a time where that's your moment. And, um, I don't know how you did interviews after that, but, uh, you know, kudos to you for being, I mean, a college guy that was acting like a, an absolute professional at that time. I just wanted to tell you that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it, it sucked walking off that green. I mean, you know, people, people, coach and I have made, almost made a running joke. They've asked me, me and him so many times, like, why did you try to hit porn out of that bunker? And it's like, no, like it was an eight iron. Like it, it's a pitching wedge the second time. Like I didn't, you know, I wasn't trying to get more than I could have. Like, it's just, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Yeah. And, you know, kind of walking off that green, I was, I mean, I was more demoralized than I'd ever been just because in my past, like, in how I've always played golf, like, I don't, I don't usually end things that way. Like, usually I'll, you know, if I lose, I get beat. Right. But I, it almost felt like, in a way, I just shot myself in the foot, yeah. especially after grinding it back from being four down. And... So, I mean, I, you know, I walked off that green, went, went to the locker room, found myself a place to be alone for a second, you know, had my moments, just like process everything that happened, talk to my dad. And, you know, kind of after that, like 15, 20 minutes down there, I was just like, okay, like, oh, what are you, what are you going to do now? Like, are you just going to mope around about it? Or are you just going to move on? Like, it's over. Like you lost end of, end of story. Like there's nothing that's ever going to change that. But you feeling sorry for yourself for being upset about it at the end of the day doesn't change anything. If you want, if you want to change something, then you know put yourself in that position again. And, and it doesn't have to be the USM, but you know, a college event, and a pro event, whatever it is, uh, put yourself in that position again. 
and learn from it and move on. And I think that that's kind of where it's ever since, like ever since I left that locker room, I've, well, I've never looked back. Like I've, I've literally been making jokes about it with my friends since I've got home. Like it, it just doesn't bother me anymore. It's, it's just one of those things. It sucks, but it's gall, you yeah. know, it, things like that happen. Yeah, no. And, and I, I'm thinking also just from, from the, the scope of our conversation and where you started, uh, you know, thinking about turning professional uh, out of, out of high school and, and right out of your junior career, I'm guessing you're so much more well-equipped to handle something like this as opposed to how you were maybe two, three years ago. Obviously, I didn't know you then. I know you a little bit now, but I'm just listening to the way you're, the way you're talking about it. I don't think that you handle it that way two years ago. No, pro- probably not. Like, I, didn't, I wouldn't have had the maturity to or the, you know, the general sense of, you know, I, I, just, I wouldn't have accepted it. Like, it just wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made sense to me accepted at the time. And it wouldn't have made it because, it, it, like, you're a kid, you know, you, you just lost in the semifinal of the USAM. You're a whole way from playing a Masters in a US Open. Like, those are things, you know, that change your life, the things that, like, you dream about doing. So uh, I definitely think I handled it way better now, just being having grown up and, you know, being a little more mature for sure. I think that definitely had a huge impact on how I handled all that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get you out of here. I know you got uh, schoolwork that you're probably just dying to get to. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and social uh, activities to plan. And then obviously golf we got to take care of because, you know, I know that you're going to have some tournaments to play here in the fall. I'm not sure exactly what <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not sure exactly what the schedule is going to look like for every college team because things are so fluid and changing all the time because of COVID. But um, let's end this great conversation with a fun one. And it's a question that I've only asked Brandon Wu, and it's I'll tailor it a little bit to you. But let's see if I can get your answer on this one. You have, um, I'm going to give you one putt straight uphill. And if you make it, you get to go to Cabo. If you miss, you do not get to go. What is the longest putt you're willing to risk this over? Oh. So obviously, you know, like you're going to say like the one footer you want, obviously. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. But we can't have that. How far this, this shows how much confidence you have. And obviously it's not a left to right, right to left. I'm not going to, you know, mess you around with any of that stuff straight up the hill. How far back are you willing to go for this chance? I think you're, I, you're not getting it. I think I'm going to go 10 feet. Like you're not getting many farther than 10 feet. That's okay. That's uh that, that's pretty impressive. I asked, I asked Brandon on one of the previous episodes, I asked him the same question of, you know, same thing. Uh, you know, you make it and you're on the PGA Tour for a year and you can set your schedule. And if you miss it, you're at the Corn Ferry Tour all year long. You cannot play a PGA Tour event. And, yeah, he was right around that uh, right around that 10-foot, 8-foot margin. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be going. I don't know if I'd be going ten feet if if those right. if those are the options. Uh-huh. You know, that's a, that's a little higher stakes. Yeah, but, I think. But yeah, yeah I mean, I think. Uh, on the one yeah, hand, we're talking tacos. Yeah, on the one hand, we're talking tacos and 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 Mexico. On the other hand, we're talking PGA Tour. So yeah, you're right. It's a little different. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I I think I would probably stick to that ten foot mark. I think I can. I think that's the point where it's like I'm pretty sure I'm going to make that putt. Nice. Fan, absolutely fantastic conversation. I, I'm so glad that we were able to get the time to do this. And um, uh, 
Uh, I will re-record once my voice gets fixed. But, uh, yeah, I really appreciate the time. Um, best of luck to you the rest of the way in uh, at, at Stillwater. <clears throat> Obviously, stay healthy, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And there you have it. Special thanks to Amin Gupta from Oklahoma State University. Glad to have him on the podcast. Really enjoyed watching him at the U.S. Amateur. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every single episode is available there and at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you again next time for another episode here at the Back of the Range.